You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. All right, Reality Honolulu. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, It really is really amazing to just be here with you guys uh, this morning. The Mission North Shore sends so much love to, this is like kind of a Hanai sister for us, you know what I mean? So uh, there's a really, really deep connection between Reality Honolulu and the Mission. You know, Britt and Kate and the Reality family uh, did just that. When Tripp and Emily were feeling the stirring to plant the Mission North Shore, Britain, the reality family really hanaied the mission. It was almost like this adoption that took place. And, um, and now that Riz and Zoe came here on island, it's been like this reciprocated love that we try to serve one another. So you guys have probably have seen a few times where our worship leaders come here and, and lead you guys into the throne room. So um, it's been really neat to see that because Riz and I were both pastor elders uh, for many years together back at the mothership at Reality Coastlands where Riz is preaching right now. And we planted several churches together through Reality, but nothing more intimate and nothing more connected than this church family right here. Nothing like it at all. It's something super, super special. I still remember the day that God put Honolulu on Riz's heart, and we were all at this elder meeting, and we were all talking about like, okay, where, where is it? Are you going to be in Ventura? Are you going to be Santa Barbara? Okay, Carpinteria. And then they were like, okay, so Riz... What's, what's up with you? And then it was like, okay, Riz has an announcement, and he shared his heart for Honolulu. And I remember that day, like my heart leapt. It just leapt within me. I couldn't, I couldn't really, I don't even know if that's the right word. It leaped within me. Um, and there was this joy and excitement for what God was doing, what God was wanting to do here on the island. And I remember the prayer tour. How many of you guys were on a prayer tour a couple years ago? Show of hands. Okay, see? It's awesome. Um, the prayer tour, how God brought people from all over to pray for God to move in this city. That's crazy. People from London, people from Boston, people, people from the Bay Area, people from like all over in California. Oh, it was crazy. Flying here to pray for the city, for people in the city to see Jesus Christ. And there was all these seeds planted, the prayers of the saints sown. And now being here with you all today, it's pretty radical to see. Like it's something now. It's something. There was once a vision. It was once a stirring. And then it became prayer sown. And here we are. We get to see in it. I even have little videos, guys, little videos on my phone of prayer meetings that took place on the mainland for what God was going to do here. And it was like the juiciest prayer meetings you've ever been to. Like the Lord was just meeting us and everyone was just crying out for people in Honolulu, for people to just see God. It was one of the most cosmic things you'll ever be. We would take a bus from Ventura, okay, a school bus. A church school bus, we would pack it full of people from Ventura, drive up to Carpinteria to pray for people in Honolulu. It was pretty radical to see. And there was, that, this was not a thing yet. It's pretty awesome. So it's really encouraging to me to see how faithful God is to answer the prayers of his people, right? This wonderful school that we're gathering right now, that's something that was prayed for. The core team that's been faithfully laboring for many years now, trying to put this thing together, that was prayed for. Children's ministry that we just talked about, that's all been prayed for. 
Ohana groups, that was prayed for. You guys supporting a missionary in Asia, Ron, right? Ron Miller and the team over there at Bonnie Manuel, that was prayed for. All these things that God's doing through this church, that's been prayed for before it was. Before it was. So I want to encourage you guys that what you guys are walking in, what you have the privilege to be invited into is evidence of the faithfulness of God. It's evidence of the faithfulness of God. And that's just one little piece of prayer. There are people that have been on island praying for moves of the Spirit, okay? So that's just one little aspect. There's people that have been praying for decades, and you guys are getting invited into that by saying yes to Jesus. And he's, he's wanting to do so much more for his glory and his kingdom here on island. So um, it's just really neat to be here, guys. I just I know the longest intro in the universe, but um, we're going to go and continue in, our, uh, in you guys' series in the book of Philippians. We get to study and listen and meditate on one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'll be preaching out of the NASB for the most part this morning, and I'll read this, and we could just kind of let these words mean something to us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with the thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this promise. It means everything to us. Thank you, Lord, that there is something that we could do when anxiety and worry and fear are knocking at the door. And so, Lord, would you anoint me to be faithful with your word, to be faithful in sharing and exposing and expanding what you want to say to your people. God, just replace my thoughts with yours. We want you to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, so just a little background, you know, like you guys know, this is a church that the Apostle Paul was writing. It was a very personal and kindred letter, but it was also very practical, as you guys have been seeing. There's a lot of practical things in the book of Philippians. It was on Paul's second missionary journey, right? He visited Philippi, and what happened was a couple people, some people got saved, and then from there, like, a church was birthed, kind of like what happened right over here. And so he was really, really connected with that, so much so that there were several times that the Philippians gave financially to Paul's missionary efforts because of this deep, deep relationship to the fact that they even sent their very own Epaphroditus, right? He, they, some say that he might have been like one of their elders or one of their pastors, and they sent him to take the month-long journey from Rome to Philippi and to check on, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry, from Philippi to Rome to check on Paul and, while he was on house arrest. And after some time, Epaphroditus returns to Philippi with this letter that you guys have been studying for some time now. And it was serving as this like beloved thank you for all the support and all the prayers, and it was also a pastoral charge to live rightly as a follower of Jesus Christ, right? He was taking some time to address a few things that were taking place in the church. He was addressing some feuds and some disagreements. He was refuting some of the false teachers and the teachings, the false teachings that were taking threat against the church, some of the Judaizers and the antinomianism that was coming up. And he was explaining to the Philippians, and I would say he's explaining to us what Christian commitment is and what it means to be Christ-like. So you see, these Philippians were real people, right, with real problems, and this is something that really happened. And so 
we need to really keep that in mind when we read scripture. It's not like some story. This, this really happens with real people, just like what's happening today in this church. And so he wraps up this letter, and he goes back to what appears to be one of the key themes in the whole letter, and that's the key theme of joy, right? Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. What's he saying to rejoice in what? And rejoice in good times? Rejoice in good circumstances? Rejoice in a good life? You guys have to remember that Paul is writing this letter in chains under Roman house arrest. He didn't have good circumstances. But Paul is saying here to rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the focus here. He's not saying focus on his circumstances. He's saying rejoice in who God is. Rejoice in who God is. The Lord is the focus. His character, his goodness, his faithfulness. Rejoice in what he has done. And that's a good thing, right? We can rejoice in what he has done. You know, there's salvation, there's regeneration, there's sanctification. That when we think about those things, it puts us in a posture of gratitude, right? In a right place of gratitude. And that's good and right. But I would say that there's even a higher level of joy. And I believe that that might be what Paul is getting at right now. He's saying rejoice in who God is, and I would say that's best. You know, granted, who he is definitely translates to the things that he has done for us, for sure, right? He is a savior, he is a savior, and he has thus saved us. We could definitely connect those two, but those things that he has done for us, really, they're meant to draw us into fellowship with him, into closeness with him, into intimacy with him. That was the whole point of these things. And when we're drawn closer to Christ, what happens? It allows us, that's an opportunity for us to see him more clearly when we're closer to him. You know what I mean? Um, it allows us to worship him for who he is, to rejoice in the simple fact that God is God. And we see this in a few places in scripture, right? When visions of heaven are given to people, certain individuals, that they get this, this like, vision from heaven, right? There's rejoicing in the Lord for who he is. A couple of examples is Isaiah 6, right? That's a really gnarly thing happening in Isaiah 6. And also a real famous one is in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, there's these like gnarly living creatures, right? There's these gnarly living creatures with like eyes everywhere and they have all these wings and they're floating and flying, right? And they're just levitating in the presence of God and his throne. And what do they say without ceasing day and night? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And the 24 elders that are there, they just hit the deck and they throw their crowns before God. And you know what they're saying? Verse 11 says it. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. You see, in these heavenly visions, in these heavenly visions, all that are in attendance are rejoicing in the Lord for who he is. They're rejoicing in his holiness. They're rejoicing in his might. They're rejoicing in his immutability, his authority, his eternality. They're, they're rejoicing in his worth. And when we, God's people, rejoice in the Lord for who he is, I would say we start to engage in the things of heaven. We're starting to engage in the things that are taking place in heaven right now. Like when we just pressed into worship, we didn't start anything, guys. That was already happening in heaven. We joined in with the, with the 24 elders and the crazy creatures. We, we joined in what was already happening. And again, not, 
Not that rejoicing in what he has done is a bad thing. Please don't take that wrong. But if we're all honest with ourselves, in our humanity, sometimes the things, even the most wonderful, miraculous things that he's done in our life, in our humanity, those things can lose its luster. We can become familiar with the miracles that he's done for us. And it's not because God's work is losing its goodness or its power, but because our hearts are fickle. Because our hearts are fickle. The darkness that we once walk in, like the darkness that I was snatched out of, doesn't seem so dark sometimes when you, in your humanity. But if we're focused on the Lord and his character and his attributes, now we're engaging in the things that are not of this world, right? And that's what Paul is encouraging the church to walk in, to walk in a joy that is not of this world, and that's totally independent of their feelings and their moods and their circumstances, right? He is calling the church to walk in the things of heaven. He's calling them to walk with an unshakable joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord, God, is always going to be worthy to be rejoiced over in worship, right? Amen? Having a heart of gratitude for the things he has done and, and the promises that he promises to do, that, that's great. But there's always something amazing about just flat out geeking out about the fact that God is God, just like the 24 elders and the four living creatures are doing in heaven right now. Just tripping out on that fact that God is God and that he knows us. And isn't that what Paul is doing, right? He's writing this letter of joy to this church plant that he loves so dearly while in chains under Roman house arrest, right? He was wrongly imprisoned. He's being held back from physically going out to the areas that he wants to go share the gospel, right? God, that, like Paul's thing was like, I want to go where the gospel is not known, right? That was his thing. And he was being held back in a sense from that right there. And then, you know, the way that it was arranged back then, you actually had to pay for your jail time financially, you know what I mean? He was actually paying for his own way. It's so different from today, right? Could you imagine that? Being under Roman house arrest, you're responsible for paying for your food and your rent and your bills. That's crazy. I'm in jail and you're making me, you know what I mean? It's so different than how jail is today. And that's kind of why the Philippians sent Epaphroditus. They wanted to send him and say, hey, make sure Paul's doing all right. He's got bills to pay in jail. Let's go get, send him a financial gift, right? I would be so bummed if that was in that situation. But yet Paul is talking about rejoice in the Lord always. Paul wasn't focused on his trials. He wasn't focused on what many in this world would think that he was entitled to, being Paul the apostle. He wasn't focused on anything else except the goodness of God. And that's just the way that Paul rolled, right? That's just how he was. He, remember when he was in jail with Silas? You guys remember that in Acts chapter 16? You guys remember that? Paul and Silas, they landed in Philippi, ironically. They landed in Philippi, and it was a slave girl was like saying weird things, and they cast out that, slave, that demon out of her. You guys remember that? And then the, 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 the masters of that girl were upset because that girl couldn't bring them money anymore because of the fortune telling wasn't going to happen. And so they went, they went ahead and got Paul and Silas thrown in the prison. And in prison, what did they find Paul and Silas doing? Were they complaining? Were they grumbling? No. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. 
When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and soon after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's what rejoicing in the Lord for who he is looks like. And Paul and Silas are doing just that. They're not rejoicing in their circumstances. They're probably not even rejoicing in what God did, right? Because God did allow them to get arrested. Like They could kind of be upset at God, if anything. They aren't praising God for the earthquake and the prison gates and the freedom and all the miracles because they didn't even know that happened yet. They were just praising God for who God was. As far as they knew, in that prison cell, that was the end of the road. That was the end of the road. They had all these plans and all these visions and dreams, but they're stuck in a jail cell, wrongly in prison. It could have been the end of the road for them, as far as they're concerned. So they weren't praising God for that. So what do they do? Were they focusing on what didn't go as planned? They become angry or bitter or anxious about the future? No. They choose to rejoice in God and in his character always, even in prison. Even in prison. And what God ended up doing was pretty radical, right? No man could have planned that. We couldn't have prayed to that end. We just don't think that big. Oh, Lord, make the earthquake come and let the, let the prison just be opened up. We don't pray like that. But God did in that situation what God does in those situations. He does God things. God does God things, right? And all the while, Paul and Silas had the peace of God, right? They had the peace of their God. They had, the, they had the trust, they had a trust in the fact that God is good and He is always faithful and that God loves them. They had the trust in that. And when they did that, that brought them to a place of rejoicing in the Lord, which brought a peace from God, and that peace guarded their hearts and their minds, which brought them to rejoice in the Lord more. It was like this beautiful cycle. You know, you guys think about the downward cycle that we find. They were like in a good God cycle going upward. It was like a beautiful cycle they got invited into. It's crazy because this scene that took place in a jail cell in Philippi is exactly what Paul is charging this Philippian church to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Give grace to others. Don't allow anxiety to reign, but instead pray about everything. Then, then, if you do these things, then you will experience the peace of God and it will guard you. It's kind of like Paul was saying to them, like, hey, Guys, remember when we first met? Yeah, remember when, before the church started, how I got beaten down and thrown in prison, and Silas and I were in jail, and we started rejoicing in the Lord? Do that. Do that right now, because it's going to get crazy. And in verse 6, Paul pastors the Philippian church into something really powerful. He says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is one of those token verses in the church, right? We, we totally say it. We become familiar with it. And I would say maybe we're too familiar with it, right? We could even say like, oh, man, someone's worried. Someone, oh, be anxious for nothing, bro. We just kind of like try, like pass them off, right? We kind of get that way sometimes with familiar things. But let's not let our familiarity with this verse rip us off from the heavenly peaceful fruit that the Spirit wants to bring forth here, all right? Be anxious for nothing, no thing, not a thing. 
If you fix your eyes on Jesus and allow his character to bring about a security and a joy in your soul, and you steward that gentleness that he has shown you to others, which is verse 5 in our text, worry has less room to operate. Anxiety has less ground to work with. And if by the Spirit you view all things, okay, the good times, the bad times, the the gnarly circumstances, the great circumstances, if you view all of these things in light of God's goodness and his faithfulness, and all we need to do is look at the cross, and we, we could see it loud and clear, right? I know, or we can know that he promises to empower you today and come back for you in the future. Like, we know those things. What place does worry have? What place does worry have? What is worry? What is worry? The English word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle, to strangle. That's crazy. I didn't know that, but I was like, man, that, that, that feels like it. When I'm worried, that's what I feel like, which is totally what happens to many people, right, who tend to worry. They can feel strangled emotionally. They can be f- strangled spiritually, maybe even physically. Like worry does have physical like manifestations in the body, right? It's astonishing how something like worry and anxiety can cause real-life physical symptoms, like muscle tension, depression, immune system problems, heart attacks, death. Like, worry could do that. Where does worry come from? Well, everybody's different. Everybody has different capacities. Everyone has different bents. But Bible scholar Warren Wiersbe says this, the Bible term, be careful or be anxious, means literally to be torn apart. Worry comes when the thoughts in our minds and feelings in our heart pull in different directions and tears us apart. That's heavy. For me, worry comes when I'm consumed with building my little kingdom of one for my will and my plan with my expectations. And I'm, I'm busy doing that, and then all of a sudden things start to seem over my head and not going my way. That's when worry starts to set in in my life. Things start to not look promising. And when the potential outcome looks unfavorable and dealing with like, oh, what's the future going to hold, right? That's how worry is. We're we're not worried about things that happened already and it's like pow, right? We're we're, we're, we're usually worried of like the unknown, the future, right? And we usually aren't worrying about things that already took place. Worry comes when we lose sight of the character of God and the power and the faithfulness of God, and we lose sight of his perfect track record, and we we forget about his perfect love for us, worry starts to set in. And we start to look at our heavy situations, and we look at it in light of our ability, and our track record, and our strength, and our resources in mind. I start to look at the future and be like, oh, let me, how much money do I got in the bank? Right? That's that's when worry starts to, to come in. And we become like Peter when Jesus invited him to walk on water with him, right? Peter loses sight of Jesus and he puts his focus on the wind and the waves. He looks at the storm. And so Paul charges the Philippian church to look at God and rejoice in the Lord and be gracious and gentle to others. Don't look inwardly. Don't look to yourself. When you do that, worry, worry will have less to work with. Paul is saying, man, look at the one who's able to walk on your storms. And Paul isn't calling the church to like some 
no cares in this world, don't worry, be happy type of living. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's charging them to care deeply, to be all in in the things of God and people, but to trust God and the, and the goodness of God to be faithful. That's what he's saying. He's a be all in and look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Trust God to be God. And trust that he's going to be true to his promises. Right? And that's what God is calling us to. I would say he's calling us to the same thing. This is not some like antiquated piece of advice. This is today. Right? To care deeply about those around us. To be all in and serving them. You just talked about like beautifying this school. Like be all in in that. Showing people the love of Jesus. And here's the thing, man, it's going to cost, right? Like going and serving at this school and cleaning it up, and that's not going to be convenient. Like there's so much other things that we could do for ourselves. But God's saying like, no, come. I'm inviting you into this. Be all in. Care deeply. And then trust me. Trust me. And notice how Paul isn't saying like, hey, stop worrying, and then just like leaving it at that, right? That's not what Paul's saying either. Like, just stop worrying. No, Paul knows better. He knows that flesh propagates and fosters worry if we leave it idle or unchecked. If we just don't, if we just don't worry, eventually we're going to worry. That's what happens, right? That's what happens with our minds, right? Because we're humans falling, living in a fallen world exposed to a fallen culture. So you can't just like stop worrying. Paul is charging the Philippians to stop worrying or to not worry about it not to worry about anything, to not do, and he's saying to pray. Don't do this, do this. Stop doing something like the negative thing, which is the worry, and replace it and replace that action with another action, in this case, a very positive one, which is to pray. So Paul, in a sense, is saying, stop acting in the flesh, worry, and move into something of the spirit, prayer, prayer. Prayer What's amazing about it is it speaks more about like our approach to God, right? It's, there's tremendous humility in prayer. It's tremendous humility. Prayer is saying, man, God, I cannot do. Okay, think about the core of what prayer is. Prayer is saying, God, I cannot do. So I am turning to you, the one who can do. That's what prayer is. Otherwise, we just do, we just do it in our own strength. Prayer is coming to the end of yourself and saying, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to, I need help. Sometimes that's the most holy prayer, God help, right? Just God help. And God hears that and he answers, you know? And what happens is when you come to God in that humble place, Bible says he can't resist that. God cannot resist humility. He's so drawn to it. He gives grace to the humble. Prayer plugs us into the source, right? Prayer plugs us into hope takes us out of ourselves and puts us into the space of the great I am. That's what prayer does. It takes us from the space of what's impossible for me or impossible for man, and he takes us into the realm of all things are possible with God, right? Think about it. Like a prison was, there's an earthquake, and then the jail cell was open, and the chains came off. That's crazy possible, right? That prayer takes us from like, oh, the end is, it's over, to, whoa, freedom, that's what prayer does. It taps us into that. And whenever I practice this discipline, this stopping my worry, and we move into the realm of the spirit and invite God into the situation, I'm quickly reminded like, oh, wow, 
This is not all on me. You know, sometimes we get so consumed with the mountain that's in front of us, and we think like, oh, man, it's all on me. I got to do this. And when you pray, you're like, whoa, it's not all on me. I'm tapped into the source, the one who walks on my storms, the one who, like, moves mountains. It's like we're reminded by God when we pray. At least I am. He's like, hey, man, remember, this is my deal. God's like, this is my deal. What are you doing? Why are you trying to wrestle this from me? You know who else is quickly reminded of these things when we turn to prayer? For all you husbands in the house, fellas, when we stop worrying and we turn to prayer, man, our wives are reminded of that stuff. You know what I mean? My wife is reminded like, wow, this whole gnarly situation or this situation turning out for good isn't resting on this fool that I'm married to. Like that's not, my wife is freed from that. She's freed from that. She's brought into that same place of like, oh, wow, yeah. We're tapping into the one. We're tapping into the Lord here. It's not resting on my husband's ability or lack of. So fellas, shepherd your wives and your families into prayer. You know, this, when Riz asked me to like, preach on this, I, I, I didn't want to because I just, everyone's busy, right? But this, this, passage, this passage was so dear to me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, 4 through 7, it really... Man, it was so gnarly. Uh, that trip that, um, that Seth talked about when we were going on a plane, my son, he's here. Um, you know, he, he's on the autism spectrum. And so, like, what happens with people who are on a spectrum, they kind of, they perseverate on, like, the thing that they want to. Like, they just zero, zero in, and they can't, they, you can't shake them. And for him, it was jumping on a plane. It was crazy. I mean, like, typical people get scared of a plane. Well, my son was, like, next level, like, just couldn't shake it. And... Um, one of our marriage counselors was like, hey, you know what, man, maybe you get a prayer card and like put some verses on there or prayers on there. And so this was one of the, this was one of the passages. We wrote this down and my son wrote it down on his index card. And we, you know, we're at the gate and he's like stressing out at the gate. I'm like, Joshua, Joshua, grab your prayer card. And he would sit there and he'd read it and you could just see what it was doing to his countenance and his spirit. You know what I mean? It was so awesome. Like this is real. It's not just like good advice. And it was, it was interesting because on that same trip, I was starting to worry. I was like, oh, the stuff I got to do when I go back to work. There was so much stuff. And I started getting anxious. And I felt the spirit was like, hey, you know that card that you wrote, you had your son write? Why don't you go grab that card? And so I was like, Joshua, come over here and give me that card again. And we just read it together. And, we've, and it was like, boom. And then we start to pray. And we start to like thank God that he's so faithful and thank him for who he is. I'm telling you guys, it's real. It's real. And that's what's really happening, guys, in the unseen, right? It's like we're inviting God into our situation. When we stop, when we stop worrying, we stop the flesh, and we move into something of the spirit, we're inviting God into our situation, which many times is a mess, right? A lot of times it's a mess. A lot of times we're inviting him into some drama. And, um, and as we invite God into prayer, through prayer, even in the act of praying, sometimes you, like, even in just praying, you just like, oh, wow, okay, God's getting involved. And you just sense this peace, right? By God's grace, we find ourselves even being humble to the point of saying, like, you're, you're, you're asking prayer, and you're asking prayer, and then you're like, you know what, God, just do what you're going to do. I trust you. Like, have your way. Not my will, but your will be done. And so Paul, in a couple of verses, is giving us a battle plan to combat some of the most persistent enemies of the Christian faith, Right? 
worry and anxiety. How many of you got, I mean, maybe you don't, I don't want to ask. But I, I suffer from prayer and anxiety. So if that's you, man, this is for you, right? Because at the core, prayer, I mean, no, worry and anxiety at the core causes us to doubt God's character and faithfulness and love. And that's for sure not from God, right? That does not bring God glory. If we lose sight of that, that is not glorifying to Christ. And so Paul is telling us how to fight, right? He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying. Invite God in by praying about everything, not just the big things, even the little manini things. You invite him into that stuff, okay? Bring him into that stuff. Bring specific concerns to him because he cares, right? 1 Peter 5, 7. And then thank him expectantly. And that combats that doubt of God's character with a faith and trust in his faithfulness and his goodness. And if you follow this battle plan, verse 7 gives us the promise, right? This is like the money shot right here. And the peace of God, will, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, that's so good. That is so, so good. If that doesn't minister to you, man, come see me after. I'm going to pray for you because that is like, that is the money right there. The promise is the peace of God, God's peace, his shalom, his shalom, right? And it exceeds anything that we can comprehend, anything that we can understand. It goes past what we can understand. It goes past what we can understand. You know, I don't want... I don't want a God that I can understand necessarily because that means this little brain could understand this infinite God. That's like a small God, right? I want a God that the, I'm in awe and reverence. And you know this peace, this peace that he's offering, I don't want to be able to understand it. I want it to be like, you know, that emoji, that blow mind one, you know what I mean? I want that. I want a peace that's beyond what my little mind can comprehend. Because here's the thing, guys. Here's what we can comprehend. Here's where we get our peace, right? The rent and the mortgage is paid. The bills are paid. Our families are healthy, right? Relationships are healthy. Life in Hawaii is like fun and it's cruisy. It's so much goodness. And then when, I, when my time is up, man, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a Christian. Like we can understand that peace, right? Because of all these little good circumstances, I can have peace. And we can understand that. But here's the thing, guys, and please don't take this wrong, but the unbelieving world can understand that. The outside world can understand that peace. We want a peace that we can't comprehend. Paul is talking about something that is far beyond that. Paul is talking about a sustaining peace that only God can give through a deep trust in him. Through a deep trust in him. He's talking about a peace that's untouchable. Untouchable. It's like when Job, you guys remember the story of Job, right? He lost everything that he owned, all the material possessions, and his family, family died in some crazy catastrophe because Satan wanted to, to test him. In Job chapter 1, it says here, verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. What? He worshipped. And he said, Naked I come from the mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's heavy. That's heavy. So radical. That's radical like the peace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Remember that story? It's radical like the peace of Daniel before he like, got thrown into the, to the lion's den. That's a radical peace. That's a, that's a radical peace like when the apostles were thrown into jail and they were beaten and they, were, they, and they just like, rejoiced because the Lord found them worthy to be, be punished in his name. 
That's radical peace. It's radical like the peace that the underground church today experiences in the midst of persecution and martyrdom. That's what's available to us. But here's the thing. We don't really like that peace. Right? We don't like that peace. And here's why we don't like that peace. Because we don't like the fiery trials that reveal that peace to us. We don't like that it's connected. I don't like it. I'm saying this to me. But that's the shalom that's beyond our comprehension, guys. It's a peace that cannot be touched by the fiery trials of life. We're given confidence that the God of this universe will be faithful to come through on every one of his promise, promises. And that is a good thing for us. And that is what's promised to replace anxiety and worry if we battle with fervent, expectant, and specific prayer and thanksgiving. That's what's promised to us. It's not some far-fetched thing. It's not only for Paul. It's not only for the Philippians. That's for you in your seat right now if you're going through some stuff. And the shalom of God, Paul says, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Other translations say garrison our hearts and minds. I don't really talk like that. But the Rome, back in the Philippian times, they, they would understand that, right? In the Philippians' minds, this gave them this powerful imagery of God's peace acting like a fortified Roman military protecting and guarding their hearts and their minds. That's what, it, that's what that says. And why is it their hearts and their minds? Why not their physical body? Why not this? Look. As I mentioned earlier, guys, worry and anxiety come through, come through from the thoughts in our minds and the emotions and feelings in our hearts tearing us apart, right? That's what we were talking about. That's why hearts in our minds, because that's, that's why it's going to guard that. The peace of God protects and guards our minds to right thinking and settles our emotions and feelings onto truth. Truth. In our emotions and in our thoughts, our peace that's where peace is experienced. John 14, 27, Jesus tells the disciples what? He says, I am leaving you with a gift, a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the gift, oh, I'm sorry, the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Man, that's, that's so awesome. So don't be troubled or afraid. This peace of God cannot be given by the world, right? The world can only give you conditional peace, a peace that is totally dependent on the circumstances of life and things going well and like a sense of control. But that stuff ebbs and flows. We all understand that regardless of what season you're in. The peace that Jesus was leaving them with was a peace that transcended circumstances. It was peace from the prince of peace himself. It was a perfect peace. The prophet Isaiah says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Eternal rock. Because Jesus was leaving them with this gift of peace, this perfect peace, they didn't have to be troubled and they didn't need to be afraid. Talking to the disciples. He's talking to you. They didn't need to be worry, worried or anxious they were set free from having to worry. How many of us need to be set free from worry this morning? Some of you guys, man, Monday does not look good. Well, God has something for you. He has the shalom of God for you. And if you think back to the situation where, that the disciples were in when Jesus promised this, think back about it. He's about to leave, right? He's about to leave. They were hoping that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, and they were hoping that he was going to reign as their king, and he was going to give them position and power, right? That was what they were hoping for. But they were about to see him get beaten and butchered, crucified on a cross, and rise from the dead. And then he was going to leave them again. 
these guys were going to endure one of the most unstable set of circumstances anyone has probably ever known. They for sure needed his perfect peace. And maybe you're here this morning and nothing about your life feels stable or secure. Maybe, like, like I said, Monday or this week is just heavy. Maybe this season's been heavy. Maybe there's something that's hopeful, but for some reason you're like anxious about it. Maybe you're here this morning and the peace that you have, it's being realized right now that it's totally dependent on the fact that things are going well right now. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you feel like, oh, I got peace because I feel like I have control over my life. You guys all know Chris and Dez. Man, I remember when they found out about Lily. I mean, I was heavy. But the whole time, that whole family just had the peace of God. They just had the peace of God. And last Sunday, you guys celebrated giving a baby dedicated, dedicating Lily. That's so amazing. Faithfulness of God, right? I'm here to tell you that Jesus has a peace for you that this world can never give you. Jesus has a peace that gives you peace with the Father, peace of mind, peace of heart, regardless of your circumstances. It'll, guard, it'll garrison your heart and your mind. You know, I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot, but these carpets here aren't here to just make this school cafeteria not look like a church, like not look like a school cafeteria. It's here so that you guys can get out of your seats and be with your Savior and to cry out to him and to really commune with him. Is the prayer team in the back normally? Like those people aren't just standing back there to just stand back there. They're there to walk with you and shepherd you and pray over you. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that space and you're seeing this season or this week looking kind of heavy, man, take advantage of these things, these, these gifts from God. And I want to close with the words of Jesus when he addresses the worry to the crowds, right? Whenever I read this, I'm reminded of how God, how God is for me and how he's faithful to do all that I need him to do. I'm reminded of what really matters in this life. I'm reminded of the mountains that are in front of me. He puts it back into God perspective. And maybe right now in your seats, you guys can just close your eyes and we can just think Jesus is saying this to us. It's a passage from the book of Matthew. And is when Jesus is talking about worry to the, to the multitude. He says this, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. It is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown into the fire in the, in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Lord, we thank you for that promise. We're super grateful, Lord, that you give us a battle plan to combat one of the nastiest weapons that the enemy has given or thrown, thrown at us, Lord. We, we thank you that you've given us hope. And so, Lord, we pray that your words will really dig deep into our hearts, sink deep into our hearts, resonate in our hearts. And you would set us free from worry. I just feel like this morning some people are weighed down. And I just thank you, Lord, that you are the one that can give a yoke and a burden that is light and easy. So we do that now, God. We come before you and we say, God, here we go. I'm going to give you my burden. I'm going to give you my drama. I'm going to give you my worry. I'm going to thank you ahead of time for handling it the way that you see perfectly fit from your throne in heaven. And I just ask for my friends here, God, would you grant us the peace of Christ that is more than what our minds can understand, that is way beyond good circumstances. We ask for the peace of your Son to guard our hearts as we follow you in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' name.